Good morning. You know, it's funny, I've been in this chapel many times, you'll hear about that. Um, but I've never actually stood here and looked at the chapel from here. I've always been somewhere out there where you are. This is the third time that I'm speaking in a formal way here. I did speak at my graduation in June of 1969. I did speak at our son Daniel's graduation in June of 2005. And I am pleased to be here today. It's been a bit of a journey because of COVID and I think that might make it a little more special. And I realize standing up here talking to you there, this is 56 years after the first time that I sat in this chapel. Over the last few days, I've spent time with some of you, so some of you already know that my life is a life about words and images, how they connect, how they interact. And often when I, when I speak, which I do a lot, I do it with images. And when I first heard that this talk was going to be here and not in a place where I could have images with me, I regretted that it wouldn't be possible to do that because somehow those images often amplify with a lot of strength what I want to say. Then I realized that talking today from here was going to be a lot more special because as I thought about what I might want to say now, I realized that this particular place is the wellspring for what I want to talk about this morning. And what I want to talk about is the notion of foundation stones, foundational stones, stones that build a place and that give power to that particular place. And I want to talk about the meaning of this particular place for me, hoping that it already has a similar meaning for you. And if it doesn't, I hope that after these words, it will. And I hope that what radiates from that message of this place is something that will help you guide your life, lives as you go forward. During my time here at Mercersburg, we came to the chapel four times each week. For many, it was a burden. You may know, actually, I'll bet you all know about the famous walkout in the spring of 1969. That was my class. Just for the record, I did not walk out. My advisor was speaking that morning, and I thought it would be disrespectful. But our class did what rolled out afterward was a positive, not a negative. But coming here for many was a challenge for them. For me, it was, I think, the essence of my experience here at the school. And again, I'm hoping that it already is or might become part of the essence of your experience after you hear what I want to talk about now. Going to chapel was not part of my upbringing. Once I came here, it actually became foundational for my future. And you know, you're sitting here now experiencing what I'm experiencing standing here, which is the synthetic resonance among the site, the setting, the architecture, the craftsmanship of this place. 
Just think about all the mediums that you see being engaged here that come together to make this place. Stone, carved stone, iron, stained glass windows. This Gothic, this neo-Gothic chapel, which is one of the greatest examples of this moment in its time in the 1920s by Ralph Adams Cram. If you don't know that story, please look it up. This is a real jewel of this place. And when it was built, it had been envisioned by the founders of the school. It took them about 30 years to make it happen. And you are here 100 years later, enjoying the power of this incredible setting. And it's not just about the synthesis of all those physical things that I'm, I'm talking about. It's about music. During my time, it was about words. It was about prayer. It was about meditation. It was about reflection. And for me, it came to be about the essence of beauty that is both physical and spiritual. And again, if this hasn't been part of your experience so far here, start to drink it in. And if you're graduating in a few months, do it now. You know, as you step out from here, you see the beauty of the entire campus. And many of you know how much that campus means to me. And also, it's about the intersection of site, setting, landscape, architecture. And here, the connection with seasonal change, the shift from fall to winter to spring to the start of summer when you leave at the end of the school year. I was actually hoping to get here in time for the magnolias, but I guess I'm a bit early. The monumental carved stone of this chapel. From here you go out and what you see is the local field stone that makes the foundations for all of not just the vintage buildings here, but the new buildings like the Bergen Center. And you have a sense that foundation stones are what secure the, the, the stability and the serenity of this place. And they, too, are the foundation stones of your experience here. And I hope that beginning to understand a sense of them opens your mind to the potential for the resonant connection, just among things here, but the resonant connection among all things, the resonant connection among all ideas, among all places. And not just things that are here at this moment, but things that are across time and things that are around the globe. You know, I wasn't so sophisticated to know all of this in 1969. I think it's something that for me was subtle. It was subliminal. And I'm grateful to realize, to have come to realize over all of these years how much these notions mean to me, this notion of the connection of everything across time and around the globe. And it's become a mantra for my life. It wants and needs ever more today to become a mantra for your lives as well. You know, it's a little bit of a sidebar of a story, but during my time here in 1968, Mercersburg celebrated its 75th anniversary. Uh, Jim Smith, who was then a music teacher, the organist, the caroliner, uh, composed a cantata. 
And the words for it came from a visit of the American poet Carl Sandburg, Carl Sandburg many years earlier, and his words, which are repeated throughout the cantata, were, and it was called a place on which time has laid its hand. That sentence has stayed with me for a really long time. In 1968, we didn't know what it meant. It sounded a little bit pompous. It sounded ponderous. Today, looking back with reflection from today, for me, over these 56 years of coming here, I realize now what the point of that message is about meaning across time. Before I move on to other things in my own life, I want to stay with this chapel for a moment because I want to come back to that time when I was here and when for me this place had so much power but for most of my classmates and friends they really just never wanted to be here. And yet at the same time then and even now I knew that this place was the center of our lives. You haven't experienced this chapel the way that we did. This place for all of us, whether we liked it or not, was about order and hierarchy. The two highest roles you could have on campus were to be a chapel usher and a member of the choir in the chapel. It was real prestige to have one or the other of those roles. To be a chapel usher, you didn't have to have a good voice, you just had to be really tall. To be in the choir, you had to have a good voice, but you also had to be really tall. I was neither of those. Actually, I was the shortest kid in the school. Um, I sat about six rows back. You had an assigned seat. It was done alphabetically. I sat between the two other Snyders, Craig and Ken. They were both very tall. They were both called the Big Snides. I was called the Little Snide. We became friends sitting there. And you know, as I say, most everyone didn't like being here. And yet, it was a time which was meditative for all of us, and we all embraced that. And I think it made it special for us, even all of those who resisted the power of this particular place. Moving on to my life after here, and my life after school, my academic life, my professional life, and again, some of you know this from talking in the last few days, but my fixation came to be on modernism. The notion of what happened in 1850 that made a radical shift in the glossary of visual images that were used in visual culture to deliver messages. In fact, after 1850, visual culture came to be a little less about delivering messages and a lot more about just being visually stimulating. And I did spend 22 years at the Museum of Modern Art and for us there, the foundational crust of the existence of our lives was 1850. Nothing before then. We did go to Jerusalem after those 22 years and you know, it's a place we'd never been to. We had no familiarity there. It was proposed to me, and I thought I should look at this place, and I went there, and I hope, trust, that some of you have been to Jerusalem. Whether or not you've been there, you may know that it is a city built of its bedrock. I arrived there, I saw that, 
within moments it connected me to what started to stimulate my mind in my year and my spirit in my years here and within moments two and a half minutes I decided we were moving to Jerusalem and the Israel Museum which I hope some of you have seen all of you should come to see it is a universal museum it's a definitionally universal museum which displays a narrative of a million and a half years of material culture through a seamless narrative that demonstrates a million and a half years of the unfolding of visual culture and in a way that for me of course very quickly I realized set the stage for what could happen in the visual cultural world from 1850 to the present time. And it set for me a context for understanding the complexity of all that is around us today and just having the sense of this notion of a million and a half years of that kind of connectedness can be and should be important for you as you look ahead as your lives unfold. All of you all of us are living in really challenging times. Hands down, no, I don't want to say that. We are all living in really challenging times. But I think those kinds of challenges, these challenges that we're experiencing today, aren't unique. In my time leaving Mercersburg in 1969, the Vietnam War was all around us. The, so, the societal and racial tensions of those times were not unlike the tensions that we're experiencing today. In fact, that period of time, if you reflect on it, resonates in a very powerfully parallel way with what we are all experiencing today. And what I want to try to do in the next few minutes is just offer in a modest way a bit of quiet counsel for how you can absorb the lessons of what this place is about while you are here and before you step out from Mercersburg and to absorb those lessons in a way that can be a helpful guide for you as you move ahead. You know, when I decided to come to Mercersburg, it was, had nothing to do with my parents thinking about it. My parents were always quietly supportive of whatever I felt was a good thing for me to do. Who knows how I knew uh, what guidelines I should follow to accomplish my own objectives, but they were quiet and supportive all the time. They were admirable always about letting me march to my own drummer. When I came here, it was my decision. They said, if you want it, we're with you. When I left here, I went on to my academic life. I went on to the world of art and museums, first in New York and in Jerusalem. This was something they were not familiar with, but they were supportive. At all times, they were supportive. And they, and particularly my father, always had a kind of mantra of simple and straightforward advice for me about my life. My father would say to me, listen, do whatever you want, but leave it better than you found it. He would say, do good, do it well, and when you're finished, 
feel that you have left it better than you found it. And maybe I was lucky because my long tenure at MoMA and then my long tenure at the Israel Museum each allowed me to recreate the physical manifestation of those places. Now, hopefully other things were accomplished and I think other things were in terms of narrative, in terms of interpretation, in terms of messages delivered out to the cultural world, first from MoMA and then from the Israel Museum. And so in both cases, perhaps leaving them better than I found them was about physically rebuilding them, but also reinventing their stories. And I hope I followed that advice in doing so. Relating that to all of you, you are indeed living in challenging times. And as I, as I just said, these times are not unique, but I think they're that much more challenging because of the changes that we've all experienced over this long stretch of time and also particularly recently. These times are cluttered. You are, you are bombarded with input from the internet, social media. We know there's some pluses there. We couldn't live our lives the way we do today without the internet, but we know the minuses as well and the minuses are overwhelming. The distraction of not knowing where to get good counsel for how you want to think about everything that's happening around you. This is a change. This makes the challenges of these times far greater than they've ever been before us. So my advice is a little bit simple. It's really start here. Absorb what you can from the meaning of the beauty of where you are here, from the synthetic resonance of this place, starting here in this chapel, and then across the campus, and then amplified by the teaching and learning that goes on here, amplified by the kinds of mentoring that you can benefit from here. You know, I benefited from that mentoring here. The guy who stood here the day of the walkout was my English teacher, my advisor, and my college advisor. Over all three years of my time here, I couldn't leave this place while he was talking because of my gratitude for the mentoring that he gave me, which changed my life. I actually have, you know, I can romanticize. You may understand that just listening to me. I can romanticize experiences and make them mean what I want them to mean. But having been here for these last few days, I have a kind of confidence that what I've just suggested to you is already true for you. In these last few days, I've seen how Mercersburg, how your faculty, how those who are mentoring you are in fact guiding you. You are, you'll tell me if I'm romanticizing this. I see that academic rig rigor is still a highest priority, but I see a kind of intellectual independence here. I see teachers encouraging intellectual independence in each of you in a way that can really help guide your thinking as you move forward. 
And what I see among all of you is a kind of humanity and mutual respect that my schoolmates and I had when we were here together. It's funny, among all of you, those that I've talked to in the last few days, I asked each of you why you got here and how you got here. So many of you have said that a lot of your decision to be here had to do with seeing how students relate to each other, seeing the character of life on this campus. We had that here 50 plus years ago, and I'm proud to see that you still have it here today. And you know, this notion of mutual respect for everyone around you, and this capacity for intellectual independence, these are the kinds of tools that might just make it possible to repair what has gone awry in the world around us today. And I'm not laying this on you in a heavy way, but I think you are good candidates for being a part of correcting that path. So, what do I want to say to you? I want to tell you to march to your own drummers. I want to say to you that you should figure out how to leave things better than you find them. In this cluttered world now bombarded with misinformation, be stubborn. Wear blinders when you need to wear them so that you don't lose your focus and so that you don't forget the way in which your time here will have become a springboard for whatever follows for you. What I'm saying to you just now, I hope it sounded okay, but what I'm saying to you now is something that I believe so firmly because the seed for it was planted when I got here and despite my capacity for romanticizing, I felt that that spirit was here when our son was here 30 years later and I'm seeing it here today. So. I hope you all feel grateful for what this is making available to you and know that I'm grateful to all of you for investing your time and energy to be part of the present and what will become the future of this community. So, for the moment, I want to conclude just by congratulating today's cum laude inductees I want to congratulate all of those seniors who will be graduating in a few months' time. Indeed, you are all benefiting from the time you've had here. I hope and trust you're going to make it foundational for how you navigate your lives once you are no longer here in the world that is ever more complex and where you just might be able to be part of what will improve the state of the world as we see it now. So, thank you for letting me say all of those words, and God bless all of you.